This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. This is Case Closed. Thanks for joining me today. We're going to begin this week's hour of crime with Sherlock Holmes. We'll hear the Maltry Abbey, his story from March 31st, 1947. After that, it's Mr. Chameleon and the Hanging Judge murder case. That story aired September 21st, 1949. Kreml Hair Tonic and Kreml Shampoo present the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes, starring Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson and Tom Conway as Sherlock Holmes. Well, once again, it's time to keep that pleasantest of all doctor's appointments, our weekly visit with our excellent host and incomparable storyteller, Dr. Watson. Good evening, Dr. Watson. Ah, there you are, Mr. Bell. Just in time to join me in a glass of port. The decanter's there on the sideboard. Help yourself and then settle down. Fine, Dr. Watson. I suppose you're already with tonight's new Sherlock Holmes story, The Adventure of Moultrie Abbey, isn't it? Yes, my boy, and in many ways I'm inclined to think it was one of the most singular adventures that Sherlock Holmes and I ever had. But before I begin the weird adventure of Moultrie Abbey, haven't you you got a word for our listeners? Yes, Dr. Watson, I have. Men, neat-looking, well-groomed hair does so much to give a man that air of success, to say nothing of adding to his good looks. And I'm sure you'll be interested in hearing about this modern trend in hair grooming, which has become such a nationwide favorite. It's called Kreml hair tonic. This highly specialized hair tonic contains a combination of hair grooming ingredients which is found in no other hair tonic. Yes, that's exactly why Kreml gives a man's hair such a natural, well-groomed look and keeps it in place longer, keeps every hair in perfect order from morning till night. Yet Kreml never gives hair that cheap, greasy, patent leather look. Kreml keeps hair looking mighty handsome with a rich, healthy-looking luster. Yet it always feels and looks so clean on your hair and scalp. Men, if you aren't already using a hair tonic, try Kreml. If you're using some other hairdressing, change to Kreml. Then see if your hair doesn't look better than it ever did before. Better groomed, better looking when you use Kreml. K-R-E-M-L, Kreml hair tonic. Now, Dr. Watson, how about the venerable bead and the adventure of Maltry Abbey? Well, Mr. Bell, that story began in Baker Street on the December afternoon many, many years ago. Shortly after tea, I remember, when Sherlock Holmes, who'd been pacing up and down our room, suddenly stopped at the window and looked intently out at the street below him. After a few moments, my curiosity overcame me and I joined my old friend. Looking over his shoulder, I saw that on the pavement opposite there stood a young woman dressed in the height of Edwardian fashion. She wore a fur boa and a broad-brimmed hat, from under which she peeped up in a nervous, hesitating fashion at our windows, while her body oscillated backward and forward. Suddenly, with a plunge like the swimmer who leaves the bank, she hurried across the road and we heard the clang of our front door bell. Took her a long enough time to to make up her mind in home. Yes, Watson. I've seen those symptoms before in women. Oscillation on the pavement generally means an affaire du coeur. She would like advice, but is not sure whether the matter is not too delicate for communication. Oh, she looked a pretty little thing. Perhaps some scoundrels jilted her. Oh, no, Watson. In such a case, the usual symptom is a broken bell wire. Here, I think we may deduce the young lady is not so much uh, angry as uh, grieved or perplexed. Why not meet her at the head of the stairs, old chap? Yes, I know Mrs. Hudson's rheumatism is bothering yes, her. Yes, sir. Of course I will. This way, young lady. It's all right, thank you, Mrs. Hudson. I'm, I'm Dr. Watson. Won't you come along in? Thank you, Dr. Watson. Uh, this is my friend, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. How do you do? Uh, how do you do? I'm Sybil Carter, and I need your help, Mr. Holmes. Then please be seated, Miss Carter. I presume it is Miss, since I see no ring on your wedding finger. Yes, it's Miss. Though that awful man, Jonathan Davis, would like to make it Mrs. Oh, I can quite understand any man wanting... Oh, quiet, Watson. Oh, sorry. Please tell me your problem, Miss Carter. Well, I can tell you in two words, gentlemen. Jonathan Davis wanted to marry me, and that was bad enough. But even to save the Maltry fortunes, I couldn't marry him. Now he wants Harold to leave the country and disappear. And when we think of the Abbey and the tenants, what can we do? 
I know that my brother's dead set against outside interference, but tonight is when we play the music. And if only you could be there. Oh, that's, uh, that's considerably more than two words, Miss Carter. I'm afraid I can't make head or tail of any of them. Nor can I. Supposing you begin again and talk more slowly. Oh, very well, Mr. Holmes. Uh, perhaps it'll be better if I ask questions. You mentioned your brother's title. May I ask what that title is? My brother's Harold Carter, the 14th Earl of Maltry, and the poorest. Confidentially, we're in a dreadful way financially. Harold invested in Canadian copper last year. The market dropped recently and we were nearly wiped out. That's when this awful Jonathan Devers came on the scene. And who is... Uh... Jonathan Devers. Oh, he's a cousin of ours from South Africa. He's a dreadful bore, but extremely wealthy. And he, he wants to marry you, sir? Yes, but even for the sake of the Abbey and the Maltry fortunes, I couldn't do that. Now he's offered Harold 50,000 pounds in cash if he'll go abroad and pretend to disappear. You see, Jonathan Devers is next of male kin in line for the inheritance. So Mr. Devers is trying to bribe your brother to disappear so that uh, he may inherit the title and estates? Yes, Mr. Holmes. Hmm. In this particular matter, I fail to see how I can help you. Oh, but you can, Mr. Holmes. You see, the first Earl of Maltree, he was created by Henry VIII, you know, left a family motto. It's inscribed in our private chapel at the Abbey. It says, if the Maltrees be in need, seek the venerable Bede. A Bede or some fellow who works in the parish, isn't he? Bede, Watson, not Beadle. Oh, oh Bede. Bede. Yes, spelt B-E-D-E. B-E-D-E. Oh, the venerable Bede, if I'm not mistaken, was an 8th century monk who is revered... Not only as a saint, but as the first great English historian. Yes, Mr. Holmes. We have a statue of him in the chapel. And then we have a family custom that... <laughs> I know this may sound silly to you. Oh, don't worry, Miss Carter. I'm aware that some of these old, crusted superstitions often conceal surprising truths. Pray continue. Well, it's been passed down in the family that if ever the Maltrees were in trouble, they should play a bit peculiar piece of music which he composed. Piece of music? What, a, what an odd idea. Extremely interesting. And uh, you're planning to play the music tonight, you say? Yes, Mr. Holmes. Heaven alone knows the Maltrees couldn't be in worse trouble than they are now. And I want you to be there. Only Harold doesn't. So I thought if you'd bring your violin, I could pretend that you would just come to hear the music. An excellent idea, Miss Carter. As I remember, Maltry Abbey is in Gloucestershire. Yes, Mr. Holmes, at Chipping Martin. An express leaves Paddington at 5.30. Perhaps we could travel together? Certainly. Oh, it seems like a wild goose chase, Holmes. An eighth-century monk and strange music. Sounds like a lot of mumbo-jumbo to me. Where's your chivalry, Watson? In any case, surely you recall the singular affair of the Musgrave ritual? There's no telling what these old family customs may portend. So be a good fellow and pack your bag. There's no time to be lost. I'll just have time to show you the chapel before dinner, gentlemen. Thank you, Lord Carter. And uh, after dinner, I shall be happy to gratify your musical curiosity, Mr. Holmes. But you mustn't regard my sister's visit today too seriously... Sybil's an overly emotional girl, and quite frankly, I wish that she hadn't approached you. I feel that Maltry Abbey is my duty. I'll find some way to save it, and my tenants. I uh, trust that the music will live up to its magical reputation. Well, this is the chapel. Mm, what a beautiful building. Must be very old. Oh, it's 16th century. The Abbey House was built nearly 100 years later. 16th century? Uh, Hold your lantern a little higher, Dr. Watson. Uh, that's it. Now, I, I want to show you a prize possession. There you are. Magnificent. Quite magnificent. This, I presume, is the statue of the Venerable Bede that uh, your sister spoke of. Yes. It's an excellent specimen of 16th century wood carving. Note particularly the delicate work on the beads of the rosary. Odd. Very odd indeed. What's odd, Holmes? The fact that the... How many times do I have to tell you to keep away from me, you filthy scum? Don't you take your whip to me, sir. I, I'm, I'm not doing nothing. How oh, what would the devil's going on out there? Oh, come on. Come down, you dear See this. Oh, don't you lay your whip on me. Jonathan, what's the matter? Harold, I demand that you discharge this groom of yours. You can't whip me, Mr. Devers. I'll have your blood for this, I will. Well, what's he done, Jonathan? He's been following me. Twice today I bumped into him in the grounds. Not half an hour ago, I was taking a walk by the bottom of the tarn, and I found him skulking behind me. Now I bump into him sneaking after me here. 
I say you must discharge him, Harold. He was only hired today. Ah, I suppose you're right. Wilson, you may collect a week's wages and leave in the morning. I wasn't doing no harm. Just trying to deliver a telegram. That's why I came here. Is one of you gents Mr. Sherlock Holmes? I am he. Then this telegram come for you. I was only trying to find you when this son of a South African oh, slave driver comes in. Ow! I'll have your blood, you see, if I don't. That's enough, Wilson. Now, clear off. I'm sorry, Jonathan. Oh, by the way, this is Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Mr. Jonathan Devers. How do you do? How do you do, Mr. Devers? Ah, yes. Sybil told me that you were having distinguished company at your musical soiree tonight. How are you, gentlemen? Just excuse me. We'll see you at dinner, no doubt. That poor devil of a groom was half his size. Mr. Devers mentioned that he was walking by the bottomless tarn half an hour ago. What, may I ask, is the bottomless tarn? Oh, it's a lake on the estate, just behind the gamekeeper's cottage. There's a legend that it's fathomless. All I know is that some years ago, a prize heifer of mine was seen to fall in and drown. We dragged the lake, but no grappling hooks we could obtain touched the bottom. Interesting. Holmes, uh, the telegram that fellow brought you. Ah, yes, the telegram. Uh, give me the lantern, Watson. Uh, Thanks. An extremely illuminating message. Read it for yourself, Lord Carter. It says nothing but my cousin's name, Jonathan Devers. And yet the message is quite eloquent. It is in answer to a query I made before leaving London. Who forced that market drop in Canadian copper which wiped out the Maltree fortunes? You mean that Jonathan deliberately smashed me, Holmes? It would seem obvious. Yes, it's perfectly clear the devil's covets the title and stop at nothing to get it. Holmes, what am I going to do? What the devil am I going to do? We must wait until after dinner and hope that the musical composition may give us a solution to your unhappy problem. that Sybil's played that rather dull piece of discordancy. I hope you're all satisfied. Naturally, the Maltree fortunes will be restored. Very funny, Jonathan. What do you make of it, Mr. Holmes? It's uh, curious. Very curious. Will you repeat that principal theme again, please, Miss Carter? Yes, of course. Thank you, Miss Carter. I think I begin to get a glimmering of the mysterious message. Yeah, blessed if I do. Sounds like a jumble of meaningless notes to Never me. Never mind, Dr. Watson. Your brilliant friend thinks that he saved the Maltry fortunes. In that case, Harold, I suppose you won't need to see Mr. Alexander in London tomorrow. Why, how did you know that? That your solicitor planned to start bankruptcy proceedings at the latest tomorrow? <laughs> I, too, have my investigators, Harold. They seem a bit more efficient than your great Sherlock Holmes. Good night, Sybil. Good night, gentlemen. Uh, there you are again. What are you doing, listening at the door, you filthy swine? I was just going to the kitchen. Oh! Get to the stables where you belong. I see that groom again, Harold. I'll break his neck. See that he goes tonight. How dare he speak to you like that, Harold? He's not master here. Not yet, Sybil. But I can't hold on to the place much longer, and he knows it. You're a thoroughly unpleasant scoundrel, if you ask me. Mr. Holmes, you said the music gave you some clue to the message? It did, Miss Carter. But uh, it requires thought and a certain amount of uh, musical experimentation. I doubt if this music room would welcome the consumption of an ounce or two of shag tobacco. I think, therefore, that Watson and I will retire to our own room. With the aid of a pipe and my violin, I shall give the matter undivided attention. And tomorrow... Tomorrow... We... Moultrie Abbey will go into receivership. Not while Sherlock Holmes is on the case. Oh, thank you, Watson. A man of my uh, peculiar modesty needs your constant reassurance. Then why not go to sleep, my dear well, chap? How can I when you keep scraping away that wretched fiddle? Da 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 da
are in need, seek the venerable bee. This music will solve the mole tree's problems. You can't whip me, Mr. Devers. I'll have your blood for this, I will. Too bad that your solicitor is starting bankruptcy proceedings tomorrow. You must help us. You must. When the mole tree is in need, I've got it. Watson, wake up. Wake up. Uh, 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 what's, uh, what's up, Holmes? I've got the answer, Watson. I've solved the musical message. Before the night is through, I think we shall find the secret of Maltry Abbey. Just a moment, we'll rejoin Sherlock Holmes and discover just what that secret is. Leading hair specialists in this country constantly advise us to take better care of the hair we've got. And men, don't forget that if you want your hair handsome and healthy looking, one of the first requirements is a hygienic scalp. And why settle for just any hairdressing when you can enjoy the extra advantages of Cremel hair tonic? Cremel is a highly specialized hair tonic which gives you your money's worth. It contains a unique combination of hair grooming ingredients which is found in no other hair preparation. It keeps hair attractively groomed at all times, looking so neat and orderly. But Kreml does lots more than keep hair looking handsome. A Kreml massage stimulates circulation right in the surface of your scalp and leaves your scalp feeling so alive and invigorated. At the same time, Kreml removes dandruff flakes. And it's excellent to lubricate a dry scalp. And if your hair is so dry that it breaks off and falls when you comb it, Kreml actually helps condition the hair in that it makes it feel softer and more pliable. So men, take better care of the hair you've got. Buy a bottle of Kreml at any drug counter. Ask for an application at your barber shop. Use Kreml daily for better groomed hair for a more hygienic scalp. K-R-E-M-L, Kreml hair tonic. Well, Dr. Watson, I, I'm just as confused as I'm sure you must have been when Sherlock Holmes awakened you. What was the musical message? Supposing I tell you the story in its actual sequence, Mr. Bell. I quickly dressed, and in the moonlight, Holmes and I stealthily crept down the corridor to Lord Carter's room. A few moments later, the three of us, carrying lanterns, started down the staircase leading to the main hall. Holmes, as we went into Lord Carter's room, I'm sure... Absolutely certain that I saw another door down the corridor, half open, and, and then close. Which door was it? The last one on the right. Well, that's Jonathan Zever's room. Well, I suppose he knows what we're up to, which I must confess is more than I do. Well, if I'm right, not even Devers can stop us now. You're being confounded in mysterious homes. Will you tell me why we're heading for the chapel at two in the morning? In a few moments, I shall make the reason extremely clear to you, I hope. Well, here's the door. Through the stained glass windows over there. I swear there's someone with a lantern in the grounds outside. Our immediate problem is here, inside. Focus your lantern on the statue of the Venerable Bede, Watson. That's where the answer to the mortuary legend lies, I think. For heaven's sake, Holmes, I wish you'd be more explicit. Very well. Let me see if I can whistle those notes written in the musical theme. The notes are B, E, D, E, E, B-E-A-D. These notes were followed by a rhythmically repeated series of the note D four times. Surely now the pattern becomes clear. Well, the notes B-E-D-E -E obviously stand for Bede, the venerable Bede. And we're standing in front of a statue here now. But the second four notes are B-E-A-D. You yourself pointed out the rosary on the venerable Bede statue, Lord Carter. The notes B-E-A-D must refer to the beads of the rosary. That's why I became suspicious on first seeing the statue. The rosary did not come into use till almost five centuries after the Venerable Bede. Yet, his statue had one. Then, what does the repetition of the note D four times mean after the melody? I think it gives us the vital clue. 
D is the fourth letter in the alphabet, and it's repeated four times. Let's see what happens when we press the fourth bead on the Venerable Bede's Rosary. So, by George, I think you're on the right track, Holmes. You are. Look at that section of wall behind the front. It's slid back. Come on. Let's see what it takes us to. There's a narrow stone staircase leading below. Well, I'll go first. Holmes, perhaps you have saved the Maltry fortunes after all. I hope so, Lord Carter. I hope so. Watch your head, Watson. Oh, must have built these steps for Spigman. Holmes, do you suppose we'll find any hidden treasure down here? I shall suppose nothing, Watson. In a few moments, there will be no need for conjecture. Holmes, I'm afraid we've drawn a blank. What's wrong, Lord Carter? Now look for yourself. Hmm. A deserted crypt? Nothing but a few cobwebby old relics. Yes. A crucifix, a Bible, a gutted candlestick on the table here. Oh, they may have some small intrinsic value, but nothing else. Oh, I was a fool to have any hopes. I was expecting to find buried treasure. Wait a moment. Something, possibly the treasurer, has recently been removed from here. Well, what makes you say that, Holmes? The room is thick with dust, and yet there's a large rectangular space free from dust on the table, as though a heavy folio volume had recently been lying there. By George, you're right, Holmes. And look here on the floor. Fresh footprints. Yes, someone has recently anticipated our discovery. Well, it's not very hard to guess who that someone was. Jonathan Devers. Aha. Observe these curious marks on the floor by the table. Four round dots rectangularly spaced. I should say that a Gladstone bag has been placed here. A bag that was undoubtedly used to remove the treasure. But why, Holmes? Why carry off a heavy book in a bag? Supposing that book were of priceless value, Watson. Suppose it were the heirloom of the Mortar family and its discovery by the rightful owner might save the estate. Yes. And I'm sure that Devers is quite capable of stealing it. The question is, though, what would he do with it? Precisely. And to answer that question, I shall try and imagine myself in the shoes of Mr. Devers. I'm a millionaire, and therefore I don't need the treasure. Too risk it to sell it anyway. All I want to do is to keep it from the Mortrees, so I'll destroy it. But how? I have the time or the opportunity to burn it. Difficult with a heavy book in any case. So I'm looking for some place to dispose of it where it may never be recovered. A fathomless lake on this estate. That'd be the place. The bottomless tarn. Of course. Remember the Devers told us earlier that he'd been walking by it this evening? Then let's go there as fast as we can. I can only pray that we're not too late. Look, look, there in the moonlight. It's Jonathan Devers. He's running towards the edge of the lake. Yes, and he's carrying a Gladstone bag. Which means that we can run faster than he can. You have your revolver, Watson? Yes, yes, I have. Don't hesitate to use it. This devil's work must be stopped. Come on, faster, faster. Oh, we'll, we'll never catch him. He's at the edge of the tower. Drop that bag, Mr. Devers. You're too late, my friend. Drop it or I'll shoot. I'll drop it in the bottomless town. There. <laughs> uh, goodbye to the treasure of the Maltese. You devil. You've ruined me. I'll have the law on you for this. You're a common thief. I don't know how you'll prove it, Harold. That was my own Gladstone bag and I dropped it in the tarn. You don't even know what was inside it. But here comes the man who can tell us. Lord, it's Wilson, the groom fellow you discharged, Lord Carter. Well, what are you doing here, Wilson? What's that book you're carrying? I just done what Mr. Sherlock Holmes told me to, sir. I was following Mr. Devers. When he put down the bag and went off to get his coat before coming out here, I thought there might be something valuable in it. I took out this book and I'll fill the bag with a few rocks. Wilson, I'll No, you skin. won't, Devers. Or you'll end up in the town where you belong. Let me see the book, Wilson. Here you are, Governor. Thank you. Hold the lantern a little higher, Watson. That's it. Aha. These faded pages are written in monkish Latin of the 8th century, and the hand is of the same period. Unless all my researches on the datings of documents are valueless, these may be, they must be, the original manuscripts of the Venerable Bede himself. Good Lord, then they're absolutely priceless. And that means that the Maltrees are saved. And you, Mr. Devers, will have the privilege of inspecting the interior of an English prison. Rubbish. What charge could you make? Common theft. Burglary. The proof would depend on the word of that filthy groom there. And who's going to believe the oath of a servant with a grudge over the word of a South African millionaire? I think it's high time that this uh, filthy groom disclosed his true identity. All right, Mr. Holmes. The gentleman, I'm Inspector Athelney Jones of Scotland Yard. And a great credit to the force you've been, my dear Jones. Yes, indeed, you certainly have. Your impersonation of a country groom was masterly, quite masterly. And now, uh, let's return to the house, shall we? 
It's nearly three in the morning, and I think we've had enough excitement for one night. A very satisfactory case, Watson, don't you think? As we head back for London, I must confess to a certain glow of satisfaction. The fortunes of the Maltrees are restored, the villain foiled and in custody... And, uh, And Scotland Yard get the credit. You know that, of course, Holmes. Well, they deserve it. Anthony Jones is a very enterprising fellow. Yes, Watson, an immensely interesting case. You see, Maltry Abbey was, uh, from its name, one of the properties expropriated from the monks by Henry VIII, who created the earldom. Undoubtedly, the abbot had hidden the monastery's most valuable possession, the bead manuscript. Well, I suppose the first earl discovered the hiding place and left the book there as a future security for the Maltree family. Exactly. Leaving the cryptic verse as a clue. If the Maltrees be in need, seek the venerable bead. Yes, I, I see it all now. You know, Holmes, to me the whole case was worth it when I saw that girl's face light up as we told her the good news. I fear that I'm less impressionable, old chap. For me, my retrospective pleasure in this case lies in the fact that an irreplaceable treasure has been saved and uh, that a monk who died 12 centuries ago will have been responsible for restoring the fortunes of a fine old family. Yes, Watson, I think that in many ways you might refer to this as uh, our most successful case. Dr. Watson will be back in just a moment to tell you about next week's story. Ladies, you've heard it said that a woman's hair is her crowning glory, and how true this is. That's why you ladies should take the very best care of your hair, especially in shampooing. I'm glad you brought that point up, Mr. Bell, because many popular shampoos have a tendency to dry the hair. Well, here's one shampoo that will never dry the hair, never under any circumstances. And it's Cremel Shampoo. Yes, Cremel Shampoo is simply wonderful. It actually glamour each tiny strand of hair so that it fairly radiates natural, dazzling highlights. It leaves the hair simply gleaming with natural, glossy luster. And what's more, your hair stays this way for days. Cremel Shampoo is not a soapless shampoo. It's not a cream shampoo. It's not a drying detergent. It's entirely different. Cremel Shampoo whips up a luxurious, active foam even in the hardest water. You can use it as often as you wish over a long period of time, and it'll never dry your hair. In fact, Cremel Shampoo has a built-in oil base, which actually helps keep the hair from becoming dry or brittle. Remember, ladies, that Divinely Beautiful Powers models wash their hair with Cremel Shampoo. They claim no other shampoo leaves their hair more shining bright yet never dries the hair. Why not try it? K-R-E-M-L, Kreml Shampoo. Now, Dr. Watson, what about next week? Well, now, let me see. Next week, I think I shall tell you how Holmes managed to trap a fiendish murderer who terrorized a pretty little English country village. I call it The Adventure of the Tolling Bell. Tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure was suggested by an incident in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, A Case of Identity. Nigel Bruce appeared by permission of California Pictures. Tom Conway through the courtesy of Eagle Lion Pictures. The Sherlock Holmes series is produced by Tom McKnight, with original music composed and conducted by Alex Steinert. This is Joseph Bell speaking for Kreml Hair Tonic and Kreml Shampoo, and inviting you to be with us next week at the same time when Dr. Watson will tell us about the adventure of the tolling bell. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Next, Mr. Chameleon and the Hanging Judge murder case.
tonight, we again present the famous Mr. Chameleon of Central Police Headquarters in his famous cases of crime and murder, brought to you by the makers of genuine Bayer Aspirin. Mr. Chameleon, as you know, is the famous and dreaded detective who frequently uses a disguise to track down a killer, a disguise which at all times is recognized by the audience. Tonight, we give you Mr. Chameleon in The Hanging Judge Murder Case. The story opens as the famous Judge Hatch, known far and wide as the Hanging Judge, is seen striding rapidly and impatiently along one of the corridors of the Cyrus Blackstone Museum in a quiet residential section of New York. And with the judge is his young and obviously puzzled daughter, whom we hear saying... Father, what's this all about? Why did you insist on coming here to the museum today? You'll soon find out, Barbara. But I want to know now. After all, you've never come near this museum before, even though Cyrus Blackstone was your cousin. Then suddenly you decide that you have to come here this afternoon. Father, are you listening to me? I've seen that man before. Which man do you mean? Yes, I've certainly seen him before. Barbara, come in this room quickly. But Father, what come is this? Come in here quickly. I don't want him to see me. I'll pretend to look at this antique wooden box. But, Father, the sign there says do not touch. All these things are very valuable. Never mind the sign. I'm going to look at this box. Then I propose to have a little talk with the head of this museum. Miss Priscilla Ames. Miss Ames? Yes. Incidentally, this box is a work of art. Come and look at it, Barbara. Come. (coughs) Father! Father! Oh, good heavens, he's dead! He's dead! And a little later, we find Mr. Chameleon, the astute and dreaded detective, entering the still room where Judge Hatch lies lifeless. And he is saying to Detective Sergeant Dave Arnold... What a place for murder, Dave. Quiet sanctuary like this, surrounded by wonderful works of art. Never expect violence to take place within these walls. But it did, all right. Bullet hole in his left temple. Shall I have the doors locked, Mr. Chameleon? Yes, please, Dave. No one is to leave the museum under any circumstances. Okay. (laughs) Who's that weeping? Oh. Are you Judge Hatch's daughter? Yes. I'm Barbara Hatch. I'm Chameleon of Central Police Headquarters. (laughs) Were you with your father at the time of the murder? Yes, He was looking at that antique wooden box when I... I suddenly heard a shot. You didn't see who fired it? No, I was so startled. Mr. Chameleon, who could have killed my father? I was always afraid something like this would happen. Why? He was known as the hanging judge. Hard but just. He sent many men to prison. Yes, that's very true. Did he receive any threats recently? He... He wouldn't have told me. Miss Hatch. (laughs) Miss Hatch, I'm sorry to have to question you. But of course I must. <laughs> Silas Blackstone, who founded this museum, um, wasn't he a cousin of your father's? Yes, Mr. Convenient. Well, then you came here often? No, we didn't. This was the first time we ever visited here. What? Yes. But today, Father insisted on coming here. He wouldn't tell me why, except he said that he wanted to see Priscilla Ames. Just a moment before he was shot, he, he mentioned her name. Who is Priscilla Ames? She's in charge of the museum. Father's whole behavior lately was very strange, Mr. Chameleon. For a whole week, he'd been absent-minded and worried. Now, you say that he was disturbed by something. Uh, Have you any idea what? No. But just today, he told me to put his gun in the shopping bag I carried. That bag there on the chair. Oh, let me see the gun, please. Father had never taken the gun out of the house before. He kept one there because it's a big, lonely house. But it was evident that your father expected trouble in this museum today. Here at the museum? Mm Mm-hmm. But why, Mr. Chameleon and... Mr. Chameleon. Mm-hmm. Father's gun. It's not in my bag. What? Let me have the bag, please. Miss Hatch, think hard. Where was this bag at the time that your father was shot? Why, I laid it down on the chair. The chair is right by the door and the bag is a loose one. Someone could have slipped the gun out. Who? It must have been someone in the museum. 
All I know is father said something about Priscilla Ames just before he was killed. And you think this Priscilla Ames could have taken the gun? Well, I Why would I take your gun, you malicious girl? Are you trying to make trouble for me the way your father did? Oh, so you are Priscilla Ames. I'm chameleon of Central Police Headquarters. Miss Ames, suppose you tell me how Judge Hatch made trouble for you. And why yours was the last name he mentioned before he was murdered. So Barbara Hatch told you that, did she? I said father mentioned your name, Miss Ames, and he did. Just before he was shot, Miss Ames. You said Judge Hatch had made trouble for you. What sort of trouble? I asked you what sort of trouble. I don't understand why I should be subjected to this inquisition, Mr. Chameleon. Everybody knows that Judge Hatch was called the hanging judge. And I'm certain that there wasn't a man in New York more criminals wanted to murder than him. It seems quite obvious that one of them killed him. Miss Ames, I am still interested in what was the trouble between you and this murdered man. Mr. Chameleon, to you this place is just a museum. But I knew it when it was a magnificent private house. And I should have been the mistress of that house, Mr. Chameleon, instead of working here on salary. You're a very beautiful woman, Miss Ames, and I presume you mean that the founder of this museum, Cyrus Blackstone, thought so too. Cyrus Blackstone loved me. We were engaged to be married, and Judge Hatch broke it up. Father, really? How? Miss Hatch, do you know anything about this? Don't ask her. I'll tell you, Mr. Chameleon. I didn't tell Cyrus about my brother. He was a... a confidence man who spent time in prison. His name was Archie Craig. Archie Craig? I knew him well, Miss Ames. So did Judge Hatch. Exactly. Judge Hatch told Cyrus Blackstone I was mixed up with my brother Archie's schemes. I was innocent. I didn't know my brother was doing anything dishonest. But Cyrus believed Judge Hatch. He broke our engagement. So, in your mind, Miss Ames, Judge Hatch cheated you out of Cyrus Blackstone's fortune? In my mind, it's true. On his deathbed, Cyrus relented and saw to it that I had a permanent job here at the museum. But that was not good enough for you. You hated Judge Hatch with a hatred that grew and grew until Until you... what? If you mean I murdered Judge Hatch, I didn't. If I'd wanted to kill him, I'd have done it long ago. Besides... What about his daughter? Miss Ames, please. Barbara didn't tell you, I suppose, that her father tried to wreck her life. He stopped her marriage just as he stopped mine. Mr. Chameleon, don't listen to her. You're a wicked woman, Miss Ames. You mean your father was a wicked man, Barbara. He couldn't bear to see anyone happy. He wanted to keep you to himself. He didn't want you to have a husband. Is that true, Miss Hatch? Or did your father have another reason for preventing your marriage? Mr. Chameleon, he... He said there was something wrong with John. John Clark. But there wasn't. There wasn't. You still love this boy, I take it. And your father stood in your way, and you had a gun in your bag. Mr. Chameleon, what are you saying? I wouldn't kill my father. Whatever he did, I loved him. You also loved that boy, John Clark, and that is the strongest love of all. You were faced with empty years in a lonely house with only your father, and it was too much for you. No, no, that isn't true. And why would I pick this museum as the place to kill him? On the other hand, Miss Hatch... You carried a gun with you, and that gun has mysteriously disappeared. You had plenty of time before the police arrived to hide it somewhere. I told you someone took the gun, Mr. Chameleon. I remember now. There was a man. When we first came in, my father seemed upset because of some man we saw here in the museum. Upset in what way? Father said, I've seen that man before. That's why he suggested we step into this room. That's why he pretended he was looking at that antique box. Why didn't you mention this before, Miss Hatch? It slipped my mind. Could Mr. you Chameleon. identify this man? He must still be here. I gave orders that no one was to leave the museum. Well, I'm, I'm not sure, but, but I can try. Miss Hatch, you and Miss Ames wait here, please. I'm going to find Detective Sergeant Arnold. Dave. Yes, Mr. Chameleon. I was just coming in to see you. Mr. Crosley and I have been looking for the murder weapon. Who are you, Mr. Crosley? Philip Crosley at your service, Mr. Chameleon. I'm Priscilla Ames' assistant. I help her run the museum. So you've been looking for the murder weapon? Any luck? Not yet. Tell me, how many people were here at the museum at the time of the shooting, Mr. Crosley? Oh, quite a few. School teachers, tourists. They're all in a room upstairs, as you instructed. Any men? Judge Hatch mentioned seeing a man who looked familiar to him just before he was murdered. Oh, of course. There was one very distinguished-looking man. Looked like, uh, well, a Hollywood conception of a foreign diplomat, Mr. Chameleon. Gold-headed cane, Hamburg hat, striped trousers. Foreign diplomat? Wait a minute, Mr. Crosley. Does he also sport a monocle? Why, yes, he does. Mr. Chameleon, you don't think... Indeed I do, Dave. Go and tell the distinguished gentleman that I want to see him. Oh, Dave, um, after that, call the police commissioner. Send someone to Judge Hatch's house. Go over his effects 
and see if he'd received any threatening letters. Yes, sir. Mr. Chameleon, this will probably be one of the easiest cases you've had to solve. Why? Because Judge Hatch was known as the Hanging Judge, and from everything I've ever read about him, a lot of criminals would have liked to kill him. It looks as if all you'd have to do is check up on the people he's given stiff sentences to. Check on them, and among them you'll find your man. So you're interested in criminology, Mr. Chrysler? No, I'm afraid that's a little far removed from the quiet occupation I follow in a museum. Well, your hunch may be a good one at that. Dave, you send in our friend with the monocle, please. Okay, Mr. Chameleon. Particularly anxious to see him. Mr. Chameleon, do you mean that you know this man? Mr. Chrysler... Unless I am much mistaken, he's Andy Matthews, a well-known fence and confidence man. And I see that I am not mistaken. Hello, Andy. Hello, Mr. Chameleon. Well, this is a pretty mess. I walk into a museum to get a little culture, and what happens? A man is murdered. Police all over the place. Oh, it's awful tough on you, Andy. But tougher on Judge Hatch. Now, look, Chameleon, I'm going straight. You haven't had much chance yet. You were just released from prison after serving an eight-year term. Judge Hatch didn't sentence me. No, he didn't. But he sent your best pal and partner, Shorty Mason, to the chair. Now, what do you know about this murder, Andy? What were you doing in this museum, and where's the murder gun? Why don't you search me, Chameleon? Because I think you're too smart to kill a man and keep the gun on your person. And I think you're too smart, Chameleon, to even dream that I'd kill Judge Hatch. You haven't forgotten, I hope, that he was well known as the hanging judge. When I was in stir, at least 20 men said their first act on release would be to knock off a, that old beat. Do you get my point, old man? The point is that those 20 suspects you so kindly present, Andy, are still in stir, but you are out and on the scene here. And I'm quite sure that Judge Hatch's daughter will identify you right now, Andy. Miss Hatch? You step in here, please, to identify someone? Yes, Mr. Chameleon. Miss Hatch, is this the man that your father saw just before he was shot? Is this the man who disturbed him so that he ducked into a room to avoid being seen? I... I don't know, Mr. Chameleon. I honestly couldn't say. Sorry, Chameleon, your mistake. Miss Hatch, you go back into that room, please, and ask Priscilla Ames to step out here. Yes. Miss Ames, Mr. Chameleon wants you. Miss Ames... Is this man familiar to you? What do you mean? How would I happen to know a cheap crook? You forget, Miss Ames, that your brother was a crook. A confidence man just like Andy. Well, I never saw this man before. I never laid eyes on him. That's very odd. Because at one time, he and your brother were partners. Mr. Chrysler. Yes, sir. What's that in that showcase on the wall? Why, that's a display of antique guns, Mr. Chameleon. Let me look at them. Antique guns? Well, you don't say... And is that little automatic in the corner an antique? When'd you put it in there, Andy? When'd you hide the murder gun in that case? I didn't, Mr. Chameleon. I never saw it before. Mr. Crosley, open the case, please, so I can get the gun. Well... What are you waiting for? I said open the case. I can't, Mr. Chameleon. I don't have the key. Who has? The only person in the museum, Mr. Chameleon, who has the key to that case is Priscilla Ames. Well, Miss Ames... How do you explain this? Mr. Chameleon and the Hanging Judge murder case continues in just a moment. When you're suffering from an ordinary headache, neuritic or neuralgic pain, you want two things. First, you want something that will give you fast relief. And second, you want something that will give you dependable relief. So listen. People everywhere know that because it's actually ready to go to work in two seconds, Bayer Aspirin provides fast relief. And they know that because it's gentle to the system, it also provides dependable relief. The fact is that no other pain reliever can match Bayer Aspirin's record of use by millions of normal people without ill effect. And that means that of all pain relievers, Bayer Aspirin is one you can take with complete confidence. So when you have a headache, don't experiment with drugs that have not been proved by years of successful use. For the two most important kinds of relief, the fast relief you want and the dependable relief you need, do as millions do, be sure with Bayer Aspirin. And when you buy, ask for it by its full name, Bayer Aspirin, not just for aspirin alone. Get the 100-tablet bottle and you get Bayer Aspirin tablets for less than a penny apiece. 
now back to Mr. Chameleon and the Hanging Judge murder case. It is a few seconds later in the Blackstone Museum where Judge Hatch was mysteriously shot to death. Mr. Chameleon is facing a group of badly frightened suspects, and he is saying to the white-faced Priscilla Ames, the curator of the museum, Give me the key to that showcase, Miss Ames. The one with the antique guns and the murder gun among them. I... I haven't got the key with me, Mr. Chameleon. Mr. Crosley, your assistant says you are the only one who has a key. But I must have left it somewhere. I haven't got it with me. I don't intend to wait while you look for it, Miss Ames. I'll have to smash the glass case. And here is the disappearing gun. The gun that killed Judge Hatch. Miss Ames, you're the only person who had the key to this case. Someone could have stolen my keys, couldn't they? I left them in my desk. You just told me that you didn't know where they were. Don't try confusing me, Mr. Chameleon. Barbara Hatch could have taken them and hidden the gun after she'd killed her father. And so could Andy Matthews here. Look here, Chameleon, what is this? Suppose you tell me, Andy. Mr. Chameleon, I'm certain Andy Matthews had as little to do with this murder as I did. Well, awfully nice to meet two such completely innocent people. Andy, get out of this room and wait for me upstairs. That suits me, Chameleon. Get but... going, Andy. Okay, okay. Mr. Chameleon, why do you dismiss a person like Andy Matthews and hold me here? Mr. Chameleon, look what I dragged up from the basement. Yes, Dave? Let go of me, you big bully! Let go of me! Not until Mr. Chameleon has had a little chat with you. Who is he, Dave? Mr. John Clark, the former fiancé of Barbara Hatch. Just why were you hiding in the basement, young man? I was trying to keep out of sight while Judge Hatch was here. If you knew what a so-and-so he was, you wouldn't blame me. Judge Hatch has been murdered by an unknown killer. And you were here in the museum at the time he was shot. Sure I was. So what? What does that prove? A lot of people were in the museum. John, be careful. I mean, I mean, don't be so disagreeable. Keep out of this, Barbara. I know what I'm doing. I'm beginning to see why Judge Hatch objected to you as a possible son-in-law, John. Are they police going in the romance business, too? What affair is it of yours if Barbara and I have been... Uh, had been... You mean that you and Barbara have been meeting here secretly in this museum? That's what you've been doing, meeting here, isn't it? Is that a crime? John, don't you see what you're doing acting this way? I told you to stay out of this, Barbara. I think that she said enough to reveal that you and Barbara have been using this as a secret meeting place. And you, Miss Ames, you knew about these meetings, didn't you? In fact, you encouraged Barbara to meet this young man. Mr. Chameleon, Judge Hatch broke up one romance, mine... I took great pleasure in helping along his daughter's romance, yes. And Judge Hatch got wind of it. He came here, Miss Ames, to tear you to pieces. And possibly he thought he'd run into John, too. But he didn't run into me, Mr. Chameleon. I wonder. Go on, wondering, Mr. Chameleon. Let's see the great brain work. That's enough out of you. Let him alone, Dave. Let him alone. I only hope that he's talking himself out of Barbara's affections. You may finally catch on to the idea, Chameleon, that Judge Hatch was known as the Hanging Judge, and plenty of guys were after him. I was waiting for that from you, John Clark. It's what everybody in the case has told me so far. And it makes me wonder, more and more... Mr. Chameleon, in the name of heaven, give us a rest from this constant insinuation and questioning. Miss Ames, there won't be rest for anyone until Judge Hatch's murderer is caught. That's straight, all of you. It is now the next day, and we find Mr. Chameleon at Central Police Headquarters in the office of the Commissioner of Police. He is saying... Good morning, Commissioner. Tell me, have the boys picked up anything for me? Well, the newspapers have certainly picked up plenty, Chameleon. The idea of the hanging judge being murdered seems to be most intriguing to them. Putting you and me in the same sack as a couple of nitwits. Don't take it so much to heart, Commissioner. Well, anyway, here's what the boys picked up, Chameleon. Mm -hmm. First, this partly burned letter taken from Judge Hatch's room. Oh, thanks. Hmm. A note that definitely reveals the judge had been tipped off that his daughter Barbara was meeting the unsavory John Clark at the museum. And that, of course, is why the judge took his daughter there yesterday, Chameleon. That and perhaps something more, Commissioner. What more? Is there a uh, report yet on whether Barbara had been carrying any packages or anything else from the museum after meeting the boyfriend, John Clark? It just came in, and your guess was right, Chameleon. But the story from the doorman at the museum. So she has been carrying things away. Where'd she take them, Commissioner? To the Apex Coffee Shop down the street from the museum. A hangout for Andy Matthews and a number of other crooks. 
including a couple of fences. The Apex Coffee Shop, hmm? Well, well. Chameleon, you don't think Judge Hatch's daughter killed her own father, do you? Incredible. Ghastly. It's happened before, Commissioner. Love-crazed girl, domineering, arrogant father. Anyway, it gives me an idea. Commissioner, order that museum reopened to the public right away. Open to the public? Why take that chance? Because it'll draw a big crowd of morbid curiosity seekers and give me the chance to go in there disguised as one of them. I want to draw the Apex Coffee Shop and that museum closer together. Yet even as Mr. Chameleon is talking to the police commissioner, a trembling girl is waiting in the Apex Coffee Shop down the street from the museum. And Barbara Hatch half rises to her feet as Priscilla Ames swoops down upon her. Well, Miss Hatch, my dear little Barbara, I thought I'd find you here. And I came to warn you. What about Miss Ames? You know what about Barbara. So help me, I'll kill you if you say one word to Mr. Chameleon that implicates me in your father's murder. I didn't mean to, Miss Ames. I'll see that you don't. I've had enough of your sanctimonious family interfering in my life. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. You should be, Barbara. I suppose Chameleon will be coming to the museum in disguise. That's his specialty. But if he does, I'll recognize him. I'm sure I will. And then what? I don't know. But don't forget this. I know a lot about you, Barbara. And don't you ever forget it. Now we find Mr. Chameleon in his disguise as a senile old man, Mr. Wheeler. And he is entering the museum, saying to Detective Sergeant Dave Arnold, who is with him... All right, Dave, the coast is clear. I don't think anyone's seen me with you. Or if they have, I'm just an old man who's been asking a few questions. So uh, keep out of sight. Have your gun in readiness. Don't worry, Mr. Chameleon, I'll be... Uh-oh, here comes Priscilla Ames. Just the one I want to see. Beat it, Dave. Okay. Just in time, Dave ducks out of sight behind a curtain. Mr. Chameleon shuffles forward to intercept Miss Ames, and he speaks in the quavering voice of his disguise. Good morning, ma'am. Is uh, this the room where Judge Hatch was killed? Oh, good heavens, I'm sick and tired of answering that question. People come here now out of morbid curiosity, instead of wanting to see these beautiful works of art. Can't blame him much, can you? Human nature being what it is. Was this the room where Judge Hatch was murdered? Yes, it is. My, my. Look at that. My name is Wheeler. What's yours? Miss Ames. I'm the curator of the museum. And now, if you'll excuse me. Oh, that's a pretty box. What? I say that antique box is mighty pretty. Mind if I look at it? Certainly I mind. I run this museum. Nothing is to be touched. I'll be careful. You get mad because people come here out of morbid curiosity. Then you get mad when people look at your works of art. Mr. Wheeler, that antique box is not to be touched. Don't you see the sign, do not touch? I'm not hurting it, Miss Ames. Put it down. You've got no call to speak to me like that. All I want to do is look inside the box. And I'm going to... Got him, Dave? Yes, I've got him, Mr. Chameleon. Your shot nicked him in the arm. And bring him out. Mr. Chameleon? You are Mr. Chameleon? Yes, Miss Ames, and here is John Clark, the murderer of Judge Hatch. Barbara Hatch's fiancé. No. Your accomplice. Priscilla, help me. Help me. She won't help you, John. Instead, she'll tell me everything. She wants to save herself from a murder rap. Was she who gave me my first clue when she lied about not knowing where her keys were. Mr. Chameleon. Judge Hatch had picked up this antique box. He was raising the lid, just as I did now. And hidden inside this box was a fortune in stolen jewels, like these. He was murdered because, quite by accident, he found those jewels. Are you saying that I handled stolen jewels? That's exactly what I'm saying, John Clark. And I'm also saying that you killed Judge Hatch. But the gun was Barbara's gun. The gun you sneaked from Barbara's shopping bag, you mean? No. No, I... John Clark, you and Priscilla Ames were working together, passing stolen jewelry. And this is how it was done. Barbara Hatch used to come in here to meet you, John. And if you weren't here, she took a small package from that antique box and turned it over to a messenger at the Apex Coffee Shop, who in turn gave her a love letter from you. 
The Barbara was a romantic game. She'd no idea that she, your judge's daughter, was being used by criminals to pass stolen loot. I'm saying nothing, Chameleon. Oh? Well, I am. We found a half-burned note in the judge's room. A note for Barbara from you, John Clark, which thanked her for following instructions. Well, the judge found it, too. He suspected what was happening. He followed his daughter and saw her meet a known criminal at the coffee shop. And you, Miss Ames, were in on the whole scheme. I didn't murder Judge Hatch. It was John Clark. Why, you... Hold him, Dave. Take your hands off. All right, that's all. Thank you, Miss Ames. I can use your testimony. And I'm not a jewel thief, either. I was just afraid to interfere. Afraid? You're enjoying it. It was sweet revenge, a bitter joke. A bitter joke to both of you that the daughter of the judge you so hated should have been tricked into helping a ring of criminals. What you didn't know was that it would lead to murder and your own arrest. You, John Clark, as the actual killer. You, Priscilla Ames, as a possible accomplice. No. No, I had nothing to do with it. You had full knowledge that crime was being committed. And your failure to report it is in itself a crime. And with these words, Mr. Chameleon concludes tonight's murder case. It's only natural that when you have an ordinary headache, you want fast relief. And to find out how quickly Bayer aspirin is ready to go to work, all you need do is test it in a glass of water. What happens to a Bayer aspirin tablet in a glass also happens in your stomach, and the speed with which it disintegrates indicates the speed with which it's ready to go to work. When you make this test, you'll see that Bayer aspirin tablets start disintegrating almost instantly, are actually ready to go to work in two seconds. Hence, they provide remarkably fast relief. So when you need something to relieve pain, be sure of how quickly it will act. Be sure with Bayer aspirin. When you buy, ask for Bayer aspirin, not just for aspirin alone. Get the 100-tablet bottle and you get Bayer aspirin tablets for less than a penny apiece. Listen next Wednesday night at this same time for Mr. Chameleon, the man of many faces, in The Friendly Divorce Murder Case. The part of Mr. Chameleon is played by Carl Swenson, with dialogue by Marie Balmer and Frank Hummert from the original story by Frank and Ann Hummert. Music directed by Victor Arden. Your announcer is Howard Claney. To millions, tooth decay means suffering, worry, expense. But now, thanks to a remarkable scientific discovery, you can actually cut down tooth decay simply by using new ammoniated Dr. Lyons tooth powder. Based on a formula developed by University of Illinois scientists, it actually destroys bacteria Lactobacillus acidophilus, which cause tooth decay. As a result, dentists by the thousand recommend this type dentifrice. So to cut down tooth decay... To have sounder, healthier, handsomer teeth, use ammoniated Dr. Lyons tooth powder. Both regular Dr. Lyons tooth powder and new ammoniated Dr. Lyons are at all drug and toilet goods counters. Listen for Mr. Chameleon in the Friendly Divorce murder case next Wednesday night at this time. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Case Closed for this week. You can find more from Sherlock Holmes, Mr. Chameleon, Case Closed, thousands of other old-time radio episodes, all the other podcasts, our Shoutcast stream, and everything else Relic Radio at relicradio.com. If you'd like to help support this and all of those things, you can visit donate.relicradio.com or click on the link on the website. Your support makes it all happen. 
Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me today. Be back next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed. Thank you.